the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 41, recorded Friday, May 11th, 2012. I have a multimeter, and I'm not afraid to use it. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. This is AV Week. AV AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. I am your host, Tim Albright. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this month, we're doing something kind of different uh, in the land of AV Nation. Uh, every week uh, leading up to Infocom 2012 in the beautiful uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, we're going to highlight one of our monthly shows. And this month is one show that I kind of hold near and dear to my heart because, uh, well, first of all, it's one that I host. And secondly, it's it's my wheelhouse. It's it's kind of where I live. It's the, the name of the show is EdTech. Uh, and EdTech is, as you might have guessed, and especially by the the beautiful uh, artwork that our buddy um, Matt D. Scott made for us, it has a little, you know, the little graduation cap on it. That's the only way you know it's education. Uh, focuses on the world of education and how the AV industry uh, affects it. Uh, education um, is one of the more stable. I guess uh, <laughs> markets. Um, if you talk to the guys that are on the other line, you you would you would be you, know, you, you would might get some argument because of budgets and stuff like that. Uh, but the market's that, stable. We're not market stable. <laughs> we're not. Uh, that's it. So, uh, but I have three very nice gentlemen, uh, very much smarter than I am, and and more well versed in this. This is why I have them on. I just ask them really silly questions, and they make me look smart. So. Uh, let's go around the horn. Uh, let's start from the West Coast, just because uh, you're the only one on the West Coast. And that is Greg Brown. He is from the University of Southern California, Los Angeles. Oh, How are you, sir? You now this Tim? No, University <laughs> Tim, of California. Tim, University Tim, of California, Tim. Los Angeles. Is that right? UCLA. Yeah, UC, University of California. U, U, UCLA. U, USC is is like. <laughs> Never mind. UCLA, go Bears. Exactly. Go Bears. Go Bears. And, and, and they're Bruins. Uh, it's a bear. <laughs> a bear is a Bruin, is it not? Every, it, it, by default, it's, it, they're, they're called the Bruins. And I, everybody here would argue with you, and I, I know there's no hope. In, there in, is in, no hope for me. <laughs> All right. Yes. Whatever you said. UCLA. How about that? Let's make it simple. UCLA. That would be me. Okay. Uh, and then on the other side, completely, I'm the one stuck in the middle here. I'm from St. Louis. Uh, but uh, we have Matthew Silverman from George Mason University. How are you, sir? Good to be here. Thanks. And since we're on, what is what again is George Mason's uh, mascot? We are the Patriots. It's, uh, Patriots. Uh, I guess a Muppet with a gun. 
Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I a musket. That's a Muppet with a musket. Keep Muppet the, with a musket. Keep there the alliteration go. going. Uh, and then uh, far north of him, but still on technically on the East Coast, uh, Nova Scotia time. Uh, <laughs> is, oh, good Lord. It's, I've already lost it. Uh, is Scott Tyner from Bates College in Maine. How are you, brother? I'm doing well, and contrary to popular belief, we are actually even part of the continental United States. Technically, yes. <laughs> but opinions vary. Uh, Not during isn't during daylight savings time. Don't you revert back to Canadian, you know, monarchy? Or something? <laughs> no, no, we don't. But I can tell you that this the sunrise is very early here. I'm sure. Uh, oh, and what what is your mascot at Bates College? We are still the Bobcats. The Bobcats. I was a Bobcat once. Cub Scouts, if you get that reference. Anyhow. Oh, there you go. Uh, so this week we're going to talk an awful lot about control because uh, a lot of stuff came down this week about control. And it was a really, really, really weird week for that. Uh, we're also going to talk about um, some stuff that uh, the you know some electricians are seemingly taking over uh, Cedia. At least that's what some people say. And uh, one of the groups that kind of helps us out and, and helps us guys in education are, are lamp manufacturers. And one of them that is based here in the U.S. that I think is kind of cool to encourage people that have all their stuff in the U.S. They're having, a, 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 a I guess, a sale is the best way to put it. It's not commercial. It's just something, you know, I think it's important to keep people that keep jobs in the U.S., you know, up, you know, up, up and employed. So we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, a very exciting thing for anybody and everybody who does anything associated with Crestron and Crestron DM, and that is the story that came down this week that I, I don't know if it was Patch Tuesday or what, but uh, suddenly, seemingly out of the blue, magically, you only need one IP address for DM stuff. <laughs> Um, Matt, we'll start with you, and if you listen to the very first show, the very first title, the very first show of EdTech was Crestron Fanboy. There's a reason for that, because uh, Matt and, and Scott and I uh, are big Crestron houses. Uh, Greg is getting there because we're beating him uh, monthly uh, about it. But Resistance is futile. <laughs> I know. Assimilate. Uh, but Matt, let's start with you, because you, know, it, you, you of the three of us, I think, have probably the, the biggest um, DM installation of, of the, or the four of us. Um, so talk about wh- why this is important. Why did Crestron have to fix this? Um, wh- why, why now? I mean, six months after the DMPS uh, starts shipping and, and right before Infocom. Is that, is that why they're doing it? Or they're doing it because this is just kind of when the engineers got done with it? Um, it's actually, I think it's when the engineers finally got it to where it needed to be. Uh, this is actually, as I understand, been in the pipeline for a while, uh, maybe even as long as a year. Uh, it's really, um, for a lot of, for a lot of places, particularly, um, campuses, I'm not going to say just higher ed, but at corporate campuses as well, uh, AV can still be the enemy on the network. And for people who were having problems getting, uh, IP allocations for their DM product. Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, you take a 16 by 16 or 32 by 32 switch, and you get to the point where you know you need an IP for the switch itself, plus for every digital input card, and then for every room box connected to it. And you know, I look at how we do allocations. I think for a 16 by 16, we block out 32 IP addresses in the VLAN for that building. 
I'm really fortunate. Uh, our network engineering uh, worked with us to develop a networking plan for this. However, talking to a lot of my colleagues in higher ed and even not in higher ed, uh, most networking groups haven't been that nice. And if you can reduce your, your needs down uh, to a single IP, it makes the networking group much, I guess, more open to allowing the device on their network rather than some of these devices, like I said, you know, needing 32 or 64 or even more IP addresses. Well, let me ask you this, because you have uh, actually all, I think all of you guys have some version of IT background. I'm the the way I see this is I'm kind of at the advantage. I don't. I, I, I you know, I sit in, in these rooms with these guys, with these IT guys, and I'm like, yeah, you know, they're asking, you know. Well, how much bandwidth does this take, and and, da, 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 and security issues, and security questions, and you you said the magical word VLAN, which I still barely understand what that means. Is it the fact that maybe you've got the the IT chops, and so they can talk to you one on one, or is it just you know, hey, it's just one IP address, so it's it's all groovy now? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, first off, um, you know what we do today and what we're going to be doing over the next five to ten years is IT. You know, all of our devices are moving on the network. We have to find a way to talk with them. I I have an IT background, which, you know, goes back 10 to 15 years, but I've really been, I I feel more of the AV profession, at least for the last 10. So I don't actually consider myself super up to date, but at least I'm conversant. Um, What, you know, we were able to do is work with our, you know, we, we express needs and work with our networking group to define a network architecture to support us. But there's a lot of networking groups that either don't have expertise or just don't have a trust factor. I don't want to say it's specific to AV. They just don't like anything foreign on their network. And if you come to them and say, hey, I'm deploying 20 DM rooms and I'm going to need 32 IPs per room, uh, you'll probably see hear a network director somewhere start choking. <laughs> Whereas if you go to him and say, hey, I need 20 IPs, it's more manageable. And it at least lets them move in gradually in, in, into the, uh, you know, into supporting AV on their network. All right, Scott. So, so you, you're along the same lines as me when it comes to, you know, we, we didn't have a whole lot, but we still had an, enough to where you know this is this is not only an issue for us, but also for guys who are going into um, you know corporations and, and businesses where a lot of times the IT guy is also the AV guy. So do you think that this is something that they had to do sooner rather than later? Well, I think it's something that um, I, I think they, they had to change the way that they had implemented it. So I don't have much of an issue that every one of the receivers, uh, for example, needs an IP address. That was never a problem with me. My problem was the way they implemented it in that you need 25 consecutive IP addresses and, and you just kind of got to block those off. And for the DMPS 300 in particular, um, you needed three consecutive ones, but they only had one MAC address to give you. And I think yeah. like like Matt said, when you start telling that to the network people, they're like – and understandably, they're like, wait a minute. Something's going funky here. But I, I think that what Crestron didn't want to do it or maybe – what they were thinking in the future is um, – and I read this somewhere on one of the lists we were on. Somebody compared this to essentially saying, what well, Crestron's moving towards is all their equipments are encoders and decoders, and they're yeah. just – they're sending di- you know, the, these digital encoded files everywhere. And so I can kind of envision the point where you're not necessarily running DM cable. 
everything's literally over the internet. Everything's over the network. Um, and I think that maybe that's where they were thinking, and they had to take a few steps back here because, um, what, like you said, I again, I I'm in an education institution, uh, but I imagine if you go into a bank or into some place like that, they their network guys kind of flip out just as much when you kind of secretly need 24 consecutive IP addresses reserved yeah. for you and you, you can't really tell them why they kind of get a little nervous about that well you can but sometimes they don't understand even when you do tell them it's yeah. like well and, uh, and I think you know the, one of the other issues I, I don't I think that Crestron was learning as they went along with this I mean I'm I've got my DMCE and it was news to me when all of this kind of started coming out on, on mail lists and the like that this is how they were doing it and it, when I called tech support they couldn't exactly explain to me, um, for example, if I take a receiver and I put it in a boot P or a DHPC table, is it okay that it's not consecutive? They didn't really know. The answer is yes, because I'm doing it all over the <laughs> campus. Well, okay, okay, so let's let's talk about that. You have your DMCE. I, I have not taken the time. Uh, <laughs> I will admit, even though I have had much chiding from a very good friend of mine who actually happens to teach some of the courses. And he was my teacher. Well, I, I have my D. Okay, let's not say – I'm not a complete slacker here. <laughs> I have my D. And if you don't know what that means, it's, it's the Digital Media Certified Designer. Uh, the DMC is the Digital Media Certified. The D is Designer. The E is Engineer. Uh, the T that they, they now they have is, is Technician. Um and yeah, not for nothing. The, the D is one day class, and you have to you have to design something at the end. So I'm not you know, as as advanced as, as as Mr. Tyner here, but you know I still have you know some understanding of this. But but let's bring in Greg here, and Greg is and just to kind of give some background, Greg is is primarily an Extron house. Is that is that fair to say, Greg? That that's true, and we're we're trying to figure out how to roll out some Crestron equipment. And um, now my understanding with this was. Yeah, they they do want to suck up all these IP addresses. The the previous workaround, if I if I understand it correctly, was to basically put your room behind a small managed switch, and and let your your switch handle all of the traffic between uh, the switcher and all the various parts. Um, we and and we were looking at that. We we've actually had some discussions with our IT folks about that. They. When when we initially sent them that information, yeah, the 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 first response was, you know, clutching of chests and you know, hard time breathing and stuff like that. But once they read through it and sort of understood that, okay, we're going to keep the one IP address for the room idea, they they were they were kind of okay with or or a couple of IP addresses. We have a little bit of flexibility, but we um. We're 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 literally scattered all over campus. We have two hundred rooms in twenty two different buildings. So um I have one subnet in, in each building to play with, which mm-hmm. is you know, which which is a, a, a nice amount of flexibility, but it's a certain amount of flexibility. So um the thing that I don't understand with with this and Boy, Tim, I, I agree with you about hating press releases. I, I tried to <laughs> find some more information on the Crestron site on just how exactly this works out and, and wasn't able to find anything. I, I understand how this would work on the the DMMD equipment, which generally you can you can very easily get two uh two uh Ethernet ports on there, but our our the the darling here for many of us in in higher ed the DMPS three hundred only has the one data port. Yeah. I don't understand how 
this idea transfers to that unit. And see, I don't either. I, and that's that's the one thing that that I'm not quite grasping my, my head around. Um, and, and that was that was the big thing that you know our network guys we, we got around it had an issue with is and, and I that's one of the things I call Crush on about is how do I I need a MAC address and they're like oh no you no you don't and I'm like well these guys are telling me I need a MAC address. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, a, a good way to think about a lot of this stuff is your DM equipment is really one giant network switch from from the sense of the network, mm-hmm. and so. It handles all the Ethernet traffic over DM cable or DMAG cable, and what you're what you're dealing with is um, basically rather than actually having a switch or a router there, your DM system is taking care of that. I think specifically with the DMPS, I, I remember reading something where even in the new private network mode, you actually need two outward IP uh, IPs, one for the DM system and one for uh, the processor, but I, I may be incorrect. I, we haven't had a chance to actually bench test any of this stuff yet. I think two, you're right about two that. Two isn't a problem. 32 would be a problem. Yes. Oh, well, no. Yeah. Can, yeah, understand that. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys something that, that Scott kind of hinted to uh, when he was talking about it, and that is the encoding and decoding part. Um, this last year, well, a year ago, actually, at Infocom, I was looking at something. Um, it wasn't from Cisco. It was from uh, from uh, Clear. Uh, Clearsea, I think, um, where they were encoding and decoding at, at the site, and basically they were promoting a, a, a version of AVB before I really understood what AVB was. But basically, they're saying, you know, the network is the switcher. The network is mm-hmm. the, is the new switcher. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're, what we're getting to here? Where really yes. the, the network is the switch, and you're not going to have a 16 by 16 DM necessarily. You're going to have all these little itty bitty encoders at each. You know, every time you plug in a laptop, or every time you plug in a a, a DVD, or let's say a Blu-ray player that has an HDMI connection. Uh, Matt, are we really just encoding and decoding, encoding at the source and decoding at the display? Yeah. We we really are. I mean, you know, AVB is one of my favorite topics, and I, I, I definitely. And the more I, def- I dude, the more <laughs> I learn, the more I like. And you know, it may be five years, it may be ten years, but we'll get there. And the the idea is, it, it's it's kind of following just the general path of IT and a lot of proprietary stuff. At some point, AV will have to stop being proprietary, in, in the sense of the switching. It's not that your endpoints won't add value. There'll be a lot to differentiate on the endpoint, and you'll have midpoints, which process or switch or things like that. But we have a perfectly good high bandwidth transport, you know, in many flavors of Ethernet. Yeah. So why not use it? Plus, all of us already have plant for that. You don't, you know, you can run it between rooms, you can run it between buildings. You know, with fiber, you can do some pretty amazing things. And AVB is audio video bridging for anybody who's sitting there yes. confused Sorry. listening to this. Well, and that's that's the part that 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 excites me. We've had Cobranet for years, right? Uh, and and other versions of audio over, let's say, Twisted Pair or networking. You throw the video part in, and if you really want to get you know really crazy, you can. You're also going to have the ability to do control. You're going to have to. I'm sorry, if you're going to do any of this, you're going to have to have control as well. You have the ability now to, to virtually do what years ago would have cost you, I'm not exaggerating here, I don't think, millions of dollars. And that's the ability to have one professor or one, let's say, presenter, 
uh, in the world of, of, of corporate and send that to virtually anywhere on your network. That's pretty freaking cool. Yep. That's very cool. You know, and it's also it, it it's a it's a money saver. It really is because, let's say, okay, in St. Louis, which is is roughly where I am, you got uh, Andy Taylor, who uh, I'm a hockey fan, so he's one one of the new owners of the of the St. Louis Blues. We're sorry, hey, you know what? <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me, L.A. boy. Uh, <laughs> um, you guys played a much better game, a much better series than we ever dreamed of playing. So you you would deserve that win. So, um, so what you're saying is you choked, in other words. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, but Andy Taylor is one of the new owners of the Blues. And he, in, in, in real life, in the, in the real world, he, uh, he's the chairman of Enterprise. Not a small company, okay? Uh, even in St. Louis, you know, especially in St. Louis, which we don't have a whole lot of Fortune 500s. But even outside, you know, Enterprise is a pretty good operation. He can sit in his office and, ha- and, and do a presentation to the entire building, virtually, uh, for the same price as he could do it in that room. Um, you know, Scott, that's pretty... The fact that we've gotten there, and, and we've gotten there in, in 2012, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is, and and I think that that is, without question, the way we're going. I know I, I don't know if other groups are doing it. My group is is doing all the video streaming work now for Bates College, um, and and you know here's speaking of Crestron stuff. Here's a little thing that I'm not sure if everybody noticed uh, in their latest firmware update of Capture HD. That device can now send a unicast. Mm. Yes, that yeah. was that was a huge just stealth ad that they did in that last firmware yeah and so if you've got any type of it can only send to two clients but if you've got any type of um it wows a server or an outside cdn you know all of a sudden you're putting you're actually putting encoders in your room and you don't even know it yeah it's awesome (laughs) it's that's really awesome yeah and tim i'm gonna send this to you uh after the show there was a great one-page article in uh, this month's commercial integrator on AVB, that does a very great high-level overview That's that cool. we could that we could post for our read, our listeners or, or our readers. You know, some people yeah. may may read between the lines of what we say. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're listening to AV Week. I swear it is uh, with with my gang from EdTech, uh, Scott Tyner, Matt Silverman, and and Greg Brown, the wonderful LA Kings uh, fan. Uh, <laughs> this comes to us from the boys over at The Verge, who has a really actually uh, cool-looking website. Um, LG's Google TV is set to come to the U.S. this month. Da, 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 da. Google TV is not dead. And I am very thankful, at least. Um, it, this comes to, you know, was it um, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, the the guy that, that runs, not runs, but the, the CEO, uh, the, the chairman of the board. Good Lord, get my, my stuff right uh, for Eric Schmidt. Um, Eric Schmidt said, by the end of the year, Google TV will be everywhere. And this was around the same time uh, <laughs> that people were jumping off and, and dumping the, the actual you know device and the pass-through. Uh, well, he obviously knew something that we didn't know. Uh, and that's the fact that a lot of people are starting to integrate them in, and integrate the Google TV stuff into uh, the actual televisions. And this may be a play to kind of step in front of the rumored Apple TV. It may just be another evolution. But I think it's pretty cool when it comes to um, giving us more and more content 
inside our, our TVs and in the whole streaming more and more content. Um, Greg, is this something, and, and LG, by the way, said that the majority, I'm sorry, Eric Smith said that the majority of sets sold by the end of the summer will have Google TV. Is this Google's, their their next foray into, you know, making the internet more uh, ubiquitous? Uh, or or is it, or are they also uh, maybe kind of trying to step in front of, of the quote-unquote inevitable Apple TV? I have no idea. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> How's that for brilliant insight? I love that. Um, I, you know, I... I would love to – I want to see a review once they come out. You know, what What? What can you get on it? I mean, so many of these alternatives – I mean, I've just got um, – well, I don't really have regular TV. I have Uverse, so okay. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit updated. But so many of these web-based alternatives, I've, I've looked at a number of them, and it's like, okay, great. I can switch to this and get a quarter of what I currently have. Um. Okay. The advantage of that is is what exactly? So, I I'd be curious to see you know what what the implementation is. What what can you get? How much is it going to cost you? You know, after you buy the darn set. So that's sort of where I am. Maybe, that, maybe the other guys can bring more to this. That's a fair fair question. Um, Matt, I have an Apple TV and I have um an Xbox which both which both have some streaming things. Um. I don't have a Roku, but I have played with them before. And so Greg makes up a good point. You know, what does this thing do that the other ones don't do? I, I, I'm with Greg. I, I, I've just never understood the concept of smart TVs. I mean, I, I, I think there's a place, you know, for uh, content delivery. I think that has a large place. But, you know, the, the idea that you take a perfectly good content delivery device and create a perfectly horrible web browsing experience has just never sat well with me. I, I you know, maybe I, I, I'm old school that I like my devices to be individualistic, but um, I, I don't know. I, I just I think the fact that it took this long for LG or anyone to bring a Google Smart TV to market, and I've never actually really heard anyone buy a TV just because it was a smart TV speaks to you know the desire in the you know in the market not necessarily the industry but in the market for these products well let me ask you this and and, and scott will go with you and, and see see if you get to to hit the trifecta here um if you have 15 different devices and you only have three hdmi connectors uh would this be a way to free some of those hdmi connectors maybe well, I, I wonder if, and, and I don't know anybody else's age, um, at, at 38, and I'm getting gray hair on the side of my head, I, I actually think we're not the audience for this in, in the future because um, like, I am like the other two guys, which is you know my TV looks really good the way it is, and uh, I'll go to Redbox and get a Blu-ray if I want to watch it. I've tried streaming. I signed up for Hulu Plus. I, I actually never canceled my account. I should. I've used it three times. Um, you know, and I love a, you. <laughs> I've got the smart TV, and the first time I had it, I was like, oh, my God, Google Maps. Oh, look at this. You can see my house, and I've never used it again. Oh, you know, it's, just, it's like I don't know – but I think that I think that there's a completely different generation where my, you know, my son will sit there with his iPod Touch, and but, watch but, stuff on it. But but see, and it's you, crap. Yeah. <laughs> and he watches it. You just hit the right point. Where where's their target market? Maybe we're too old. 
But all the research on, you know, the 20-somethings and younger says they're not actually watching TV, period. They're watching content on their phones, their, you know, iPods, their iPads, which we'll generally agree is comparably crap. But that's their choice for content delivery. Exactly. And the people that are buying TVs are people who are old enough to have their own places and TVs and and. You know, I don't know. They're not. I don't see how they're buying this. It just it doesn't. You know, and I've also tried the streaming off the stuff. I just I don't know. It just it. Even for me, it's a pain to use. the The biggest one that I'll use is on occasion. I'll take my receiver and flip it over to Pandora if I'm just kind of hanging out around the house and want to hear something. Other than that, it just I don't use it. And, and again, that, that's content delivery. And I, I I I'm not opposed to you know you know that or Netflix or Roku or anything like that, you know, bundling that in. I'm just looking at the other, you know, 300 pieces of junk apps that they seem to bundle with these things. Well, and you guys make a really really good point because my kids do the same. They'll sit on the couch across from me uh, and I'll be watching, you know, the the big TV and and they would rather watch something on on a mobile device, whether that was an iPod Touch or an iPad or something else. So, yeah, maybe maybe we are too old. I don't want to say that. We've I, we've gotten a couple questions from uh, students in our we we have a uh, a, a feedback email on, on information on the classrooms and and we've gotten a couple of uh, well, why don't you have Apple TV in the classrooms or AirPlay in the classrooms? So, then that, that's content. I, I'm 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 probably yeah. beating that one to death. But well, no, 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 but here's yeah. the thing, and and as 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 the AirPlay gets better and i'll say that and i don't want to get into a big you know apple thing but i i will agree with those students greg because i'm actually looking at doing a, a, an experiment this summer and apple an apple tv is 100 bucks i can afford out of my my meager little budget 100 bucks um so i'm gonna buy an apple tv and, and they have uh the the administration here at the, at the college i work at have started to um populate um the administration at least with um, with iPads, and I have one as well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a specific classroom with someone who I know for a fact has an iPad, and you know they're going to get Keynote, and they're going to get some other stuff, and we're going to see how it works for a semester or two. Dude, if I cannot pull a freaking HDMI cable again, I'm set. I'm on board. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Think about this for a second. You, that you, can, you can give an instructor an iPad, and they can walk into the room, say, okay, this is the room I'm in, and I'm going to connect to this iPad, which is right next to the freaking projector, and it's jacked right in through HDMI, and you ain't got to worry about it. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you start putting in, in ITV, I, I, um, Apple TVs? Well, I'll tell you why I wouldn't do it, and it's simply uh, wire, wireless. Is I, Anything we've ever done that relies on wireless or batteries, whether it's IR, RF, 802.11, whatever, it, it just it, – there's always something that goes on with it. Um, but you know, I, I think that the concept though of what you're saying is very similar to what we were just talking about with over the network, right? You know, if, if we don't have to run all these wires and everything's just over the network, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. The question is what's that device that's out there that's going to solve that big problem for us? The Apple TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Different sides no? of the same coin. No, yeah. 
I could be wrong, but I like I said, it's it's I'm I'm gonna at least take the fall and experiment with it and and see how it works. You know, it it, it cost me a hundred bucks out of my budget. That's that's the extent of it. So. Um, I'll let you guys know in the fall or in the, at the end of the fall how it works. Well, it actually will be interesting to, to us on that. Yeah. It will be interesting to know because I'm curious to know how you. In, obviously, you've got your network guys on board right now. How they get around the um, um, the, the non routing issues? Um, network guys. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Have, have fun with that pilot then. Yeah, I, 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 my network guys don't listen to this show, so I'll say this. I don't generally contact my network guys. It's one of those um, ask forgiveness, don't seek permission. That's <laughs> usually the way to do it. I mean, yeah, that's that's just that. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. So, <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna get in trouble. Uh, this is from a, a website called SmartHouse.com. One of the uh, groups that our industry that is involved in our industry is a group called Cedia. I'm not really explaining that to the audience. I'm more explaining that to the education guys, um, and I'm not. I'm somewhat being flippant, but it's it's a it's a it's a group it's that an interesting show. It, it is, it's and it's probably, it's, it's, it's a good it's, show. It's a group that we probably normally wouldn't go to because Cedia is really about homes. You know, it, yeah. it's it's the residential it's stuff, the resi stuff, um, but. Uh, th- they are talking about um, the fact that electricians are taking over Cedia, at least the show. Uh, Len Wallace, he's a, on the Cedia board, and uh, CEO of Len Wallace Audio said, The numbers of the Cedia show are up, and yes, there is an increase in electricians attending the show. I suspect that they have moved into the specialist market because they have in the past worked alongside the traditional installer and believe they can do the same job. All, th- all four of us have dealt with integrators uh, over the years. Uh, Scott, is this a good thing that electricians are moving into the integrator space, or is it a bad thing that they are? Well, I don't see where it's it's a bad thing, and I, and I say that, and I'm sure we'll we'll hear it differently from some other people, because that because they're, they're they seem to be getting into it in the right way, which is they're getting involved with Cedia. You know, hopefully they're taking courses and the like. It seems like part of a natural progression for an electric shop to to move into this. If you know, and it just falls within that same thing that anybody would talk about, which is if they're trained right and if they actually understand what they're doing. When I read this, I. It reminded me of a, of a conversation I had uh, with an electrician that we had here running some wires for us, and they weren't doing any AV work. And he was talking to me about how we had gone into this place to do some electrical work, and this guy had this old Crestron system, and you know, asked him if he could reconnect it and make his touch panel do it. And he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that all, you know, going up again." I'm like, "Okay, wow." <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the guy didn't even know that you actually had to program the Crestron system. Um, but I, you know, why not if if they're gonna you know, why not expand the industry if they're going to take the right courses and, and understand it um, and, and be educated, then great. As long as they all become DMCDs like Mr. Tyner or DMCEs like Mr. Tyner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and just start that whole list of uh, acronyms after their names, mm-hmm. CTS, CTS, DMCE, all the PMP, whatever the other one, all the other ones are. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Matt, is this is this an, an issue for... Uh, our industry, or is it also an, an issue for us as end users, uh, for electricians, to start getting into the space that traditionally um, pure integrators uh, have, have lived in? 
Um, without knowing like the lay of the land, I think this was an uh, was the CDS show in Australia. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I'm I'm not a, sure how that relates to U.S. But you know, with with things like uh, NSCA, you know, becoming part of the Infocom show and things like that, where it may have been a place where a traditionally electrician who did a little bit of low volt may have rubbed elbows with AV. This may be kind of some of that evolution of the industry. Uh, I, I think right now, worldwide, everyone is looking for new business lines. Yeah. So this is, I think, one of the opportunities we have as an industry to rather than kind of complain that the pie is being divided in more people, look at ways we can grow the pie and really say we can create more work if we get more people involved that's more exposure we help them understand what av is all about so overall i think more people being interested about av is a good thing however given that av is moving more towards it it may be a challenge for some folks so you're saying that it may not be the right time for electricians to to uh, to start jumping in, it may be more of a time for IT guys to start jumping in. Well, I, I think the IT guys have already jumped in. Well, yeah, that's uh, true. But I think as Scott said, it's helping them understand it's not just about running cables. And if they're willing to go through the education and know what they need to do to you know be successful in the industry, I think it's always great to grow the industry. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Greg, is this a good thing or necessarily? Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I think it's. Go ahead. Going pie, the residential industry, and you know, Lord knows, a lot of electricians have have been uh, pretty thin on work here the, for for a number of years. The way the economy has been in a lot of places, so you know, I think it's an indication that you know, resi is a is a relatively healthy and growing industry, and um, and I also agree with Matt. You know, I I just hope that they they know what they're doing. I mean, we have um, we we have sort of an unclear delineation of who does what here on campus. And um, I know the electricians have gotten involved in some installs on campus. And I have found uh, things like speakers and even even saw an RS-232 line wired up once with uh, a 12-gauge THHN, uh, you know, the wire you would pull through (laughs) conduit. And I'm like... Man, I'm 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 sure the gauge is efficient. Um, you know, the, this is impressive. So yeah, it, it's just a matter of I I hope they get into it with with some sense. I mean, certainly not the the risk of uh, uh, hurting themselves that they they see in their normal stuff. You know, most of our stuff is relatively innocuous voltage wise. But uh, you know, yeah, I hope it just doesn't introduce a bunch of um, you know crazy people who don't know what they're doing i mean certainly enough of the av industry is that way already hey to say we got four crazy people right here. we know <laughs> what, what they're doing you know what? we don't I, need any more i have a multimeter i'm not afraid to use it <laughs> isn't there a song that goes that way <laughs> i think so not afraid to use it <laughs> uh, on uh, my first first day of my first job out of getting out of the navy um, was as an, an electronics technician, and I blew up my boss's multimeter oh, on dude, the first. I, I blow I blow one up every three or four days. Are you kidding me? Yeah, except this was my <laughs> my boss's nice little pen multimeter, and it was my first day of work at oh, that geez. job. 
I, I welded it between 120 volts and ground. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's when you just bring it back to him, Greg, and tell him he needs to get a better one next time. It just didn't, didn't yeah, stand up to the kind of work you're going to be doing. was watching. Um, <laughs> no, this is what you do. You know what? In the Navy, we had much better ones than these. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good point. I, yeah, I didn't think of that at the time. But, uh, uh, yeah, in, the, in the Navy, I could do this all the time. What are you, what are you talking about? This is unnormal. This is ad, abnormal. Oh, wait, it's not a mil-spec multimeter. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Well, actually, this is kind of, that's kind of funny because it leads us into our next one. Um, I, there was a, a, a blog post by uh, Lee Destat, who, who I actually I, I like a lot because he, he, uh, he writes a really cool, just you know, down-to-earth, uh, blog post. He's a, he's a blogger for for rape publications, and he wrote one this week that got me thinking. And I was really glad that it was this week because I'm having you guys on. And if I wouldn't have used this, this story for AV Week, I was going to use it for EdTech. Um, about what's in your bag, what's in your tool bag, and uh, honestly, this is just a kitschy little thing that I want to go around. What's like two or three things that you have to have personally, like you, Matt, you, 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 Scott, you, Greg. What do you have to have that is in your tool bag and maybe like one thing that nobody would ever guess is, is in it? Uh, Greg, since we talked about you and your blowing up multimeters, we'll start with you. Um, well, I yeah, I, I would encourage everybody to go and, and look up this blog. It was a great list. And what, one of the things I think he missed on it was, you know, give some thought to what you use to carry around stuff, too. Mm-hmm. What I found that works really well for me is a uh, – it's an open bag by a company called Bucket Boss. They I think they started making these things you wrap around like the top of a five-gallon bucket. Mm-hmm. But it's just this open, uh, open top um, – uh, bag that I will carry around that um, you know I can carry across campus really easily. It has a good shoulder strap on it, but I can also just sit it up on top of my bench here in the shop, and all of my stuff is right there close at hand. It also comes with a little, uh, or came with a little uh, multi-compartment uh, plastic uh, snap close bin box thingy that I've just uh, collected. You know the the little bits and pieces that I've I've had to use on projects here for the last year or two that I've had it. You know all the little nuts and bolts and adapters and things like that. Um, equipment wise, some of the first things that I thought about were something I think we should all have are one of those little plug-in circuit testers here. Going back to electricians. Uh, yeah. But, you know, a little plug-in thing with the three little neon lights on the back end that tells you how how often, you know, somebody has reversed neutral and ground or something like that. I haven't seen my electricians done, do it, but on, like, work by, you know, people renovating the building or something like that, we've a couple times caught things that were, were not wired correctly, which is kind of scary. Um, another useful thing, and, and this is something I, I pull out fairly regularly, sort of managing a small group here, is a level. I don't know how many people have people who work for them who just can't seem to use a level when they mount or hang something. It's kind of a novel concept. I, I got to um, jump, in, jump in right there. I actually once had to uh, explain to a technician what a level was. So I, I really no. do appreciate that. Oh, and they, they, they were hanging a TV and um, wondering why they were having a hard time getting it level. I said, well, there's this fantastic device. You may have heard of it called a level. <laughs> no. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, it's 20-something, right? Um, yeah, 20-something. And I, I wish I could have made that one up, but it, it's true. That, that was an actual story. <laughs> 
There's an app for that. <laughs> I've got it on my phone. There are several. I was gonna say there are several apps for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I actually have a couple of those. But just briefly, the other two things I thought of were um, I, I love these little headlights that are in all the home improvement stores now, the little strap-based things that you can put on your forehead and have a light you know, shining where you're trying to work rather than doing the, the mag light in your teeth sort of thing. And the other thing that I have that uh, we bought a, a couple years ago that – it was kind of a we, – we didn't know how often we would use it, but it's proven to be just, just invaluable is a little uh, laser measurer. Uh, it's, a, it's made by Fluke. The one I have is a Fluke 411. And um, you just pull out this little yellow th- – it's like a tiny little multimeter. You press the button. Is the ceiling here or how far is the throw here or how uh, wide yeah. is the mm-hmm. screen? You could just instantly get all of those dimensions. Hugely useful tool. So those were just the first few that came to my mind. Uh, actually, you're you're right about the bag, and this is this is going to sound so weird. The bag that I use actually is my Extron bag that came with one of my uh, compression tools. Um, and I, tr- I you yeah. know what I'm talking about. I tried to buy one for my dad because he constantly keeps to keeps trying to steal mine. And I was told that they don't sell them individually. You have to buy the thing. So I went out to my integrator and I, I personally, you know, out of my pocket purchased like one of those, was a forty or fifty dollar compression kit just so I could give my dad my extra back. So nice. Uh, there you go, uh, Matt or Scott. What is what is like one or two th- things that you have to have in your in your tool bag? You, you know, I'm I'm just. Um... I'm sitting at my computer most of my time nowadays. So, and, and actually, I think that that's part of it. It, it, it tells us where we are in, in this world. For me, my most important tools are, are my PC, the tools on my PC, um, and, and my iPad, and the various tools I have in my iPad or my iPhone. Um, although, I do have to agree with, with Greg's last statement about um, those laser measures. If you get a good one, um, those are invaluable. All right, Mr. Silverman, what is your one or two, uh, besides the level, of course, uh, <laughs> your one or two tools that you have to have? I'm actually with Scott. Actually, at this point, uh, as a project manager, our techs kind of uh, shoo me off the job site if I try to get involved. Um, I, I'd say the couple things I always have my laptop with me because if I'm going to do something on the side, it's usually looking into a program or a configuration. And then the other thing is a honest-to-God camera. Uh, rather than a phone, because uh, mm. when I do assessments, I mean it's it's it, it's a Nikon. It has a decent optical and a zoom on it. You know, it's nothing fancy. I've had it for a couple of years, but when I'm doing assessments on the front end of projects with you know the uh, laser measure that both guys have already talked about, um, I like to be able to take a good quality photograph on the front end. And I just hate camera phones for that. Again, like TVs, I like my devices to do one thing well. Oh, so. You're just an Good old, points. crotchety old man. I know. I would have thought. Get man, off of my lawn. I thought you were the, the youngest of us all, but apparently you are. Uh... I, I, I'm, a young, I'm a young, crotchety man. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have a radio in your car or do you expect oh! it not to do that? <laughs> he, has, he has a crank on the front of his, you know, his, his, his uh, Model T. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> he, he brings a boombox in separately to his car because oh, it can't man. be integrated. Get off of my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
Well, Matt, Matt brought up the, the whole programming thing. Let's talk for a second, and just for a brief second, about control, shall we? There's a number of things uh, here that, that we'll, we're going to talk about. Uh, first of all, AT&T and Microsoft both have kind of dipped their, their toe into the world of home automation. And the reason I bring this up is because, uh, you know, the, 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 that could very easily... Uh, I can see uh, mold its way into commercial, uh, whether that's education or, or the boardroom. I mean, you you've got the you know the president and CEO of, of Enterprise. This is you know he has AT and T control at his house, so why shouldn't he have it at the office? Um, and then we're going to talk real briefly about uh, about a, a blog post that was on on uh, on Rave. Uh, a, a young man asked a question, and I'm going to answer him in in no uncertain terms, but. Um, Matt, is the fact that AT and T and and Microsoft, God help us all, uh, getting into control <laughs> an issue, or is uh, it great? You know, they're 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 expanding our horizons. I I kind of look at it as, as two different things. On, on the AT and T, this reminds me of um, whatever the security company that was about three months back got into it. AT and T is just trying to reach out, I think, and do more. And you know. I don't know. I, I think it may speak to, uh, I think, two things in the resi market, not being in the resi market, but one, that most uh, custom integrations are just way too expensive. And that, that this, by bringing some standardization, this may bring down the price or encourage more people to do it. Uh, it also allows them to package stuff. On the Microsoft side, it really reminded me of uh, the Android at Home initiative. Uh, we all remember that announcement. Mm -hmm. yep. And, you know, I, I see that and I'm like, well, I think there's a market. I mean, there's a lot more do-it-yourselfers. And something I think I sent out to you guys and I think we're going to post on uh, post uh, with the uh, episode but there was this great uh, video of uh, this kid from uh, Berkeley, I believe, uh, who automated his dorm room. And it was actually using X10 product out of everything. Yeah. Yes. But it, 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 it just to me kind of showed what I'll say a democratization of some of control. I mean control historically – has been, you know, Crestron, AMXs, you know, you need to learn a whole new programming language. You need mm -hmm. to learn a whole new way to think, to do control properly. And we're having more and more people in this hacker space and more and more people who are growing up digital who just wonder why should it be this hard. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Microsoft, the Android at home, you know, AT&T, eh, you know, that, that, that in my opinion, I think is they're just trying to get a new line of business. But it, it just shows a desire and a willingness, I think, from residential, you know, folks to have a more degree of automation and have their entire life wired. So I, I think that's what we're seeing with both of these announcements. Would you agree with that, Mr. Tyner, there, that it's just them kind of, you know, um, getting into, into what's already existing with, with the hacker mentality? I, I think so. I, I do think it's wonderful that um, our our resident old Grant Matthew has such a <laughs> has such a, a wonderful a wonderful view of of where this is going to go. I mean, I looked at it and the first thing I said is, "Oh, so Microsoft is going to make something that's cheap, reliable, and effective." I I believe, <laughs> I, I, believe I believe it. Um, and you know, the other thing I thought of 
when, when we saw the, uh, the video of, of Brad um, was how many times did this kid film this thing and it not work before he pieced together a three-minute video of, of all of this working? And I think that's the thing. You know, we, we, the, the video for the Microsoft research um, I think was the same thing. Um, first of all, there's this, there's this 20-something-year-old telling us all how easy it is as he presses four or five different buttons and goes through screens on his phone. You know, let's get personal. My, my wife, who's really very smart, um, would have quit doing that, <laughs> you know, after having seen what that guy did. And, you know, the idea that the, the real kind of Pollyanna view here is that um, – all of the manufacturers would come to some um, agreement on standards and how things communicate. And until you've done that, as we know, having done any programming for any control system, you need different drivers for different devices, even mm-hmm. within the same manufacturer. And so it's it's more than just saying, let's give you a cheap application on your phone. You you need you need more than that. Um, and so you know, I'll I'll be the resident grump now and say I'll believe it when I see it. Well, and, and Greg, uh, actually, Scott raises a point that leads us into our, our blog post uh, by a guy by the name of John uh, Chichla, I think. Uh, he's a rave pub blogger, and he asked the question, can't we just put buttons for every available function on the touch panel? I'm going to be the angry guy and say, no, you can't. That's why it's called an automation system. Um, you know, Greg Scott mentions that the fact that his wife would have quit after three or four pages and and Wait, regardless of whether it's AT&T or Microsoft, we need to keep in mind the fact of whether it's Infocom's you know, uh, dashboard for controls, which if you don't know that what that is, I'll put a link up for it. It's a great little blueprint that says, hey, you know what? L- let's make things simple for the end user. And you know what, guys? We're not the end users. The, the, in our world, the professors are. Um, the IT guys and the AV guys in, in corporate levels aren't the end user. The CEO is. And the end users at home... It isn't you know necessarily the tech savvy kids? It's mom and dad. So so Greg, don't we need to keep this as simple as possible? Oh, I I have um... <laughs> Mr. Extron. <laughs> well, I I was going I was going straight to a, a, a Crestron example. Okay, on this. we we have our one Crestron system, which is uh, in a departmental room, and uh, which we commissioned probably about a year ago. And uh, uses their um, uh, TPMC8, the little uh, wireless touch panel, and the the layout and the pages and the buttons, the whole structure of the interface, has been an ongoing work by a group of um, my esteemed colleagues. Um, over the last year or so, the, the programming being done by an outside company. And um, boy, if uh, ever you want to test your sanity, that would probably be a really good project, a sort of group work by a bunch of people who – you know they're they're in they're they're very knowledgeable in their own particular areas of skill unfortunately touch panel layout and interface and user interface is not one of them and it's just been this maddening ongoing project for the last year and and yeah i think a lot of people don't don't understand you know what what's you know pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain you know and and, and a lot of people don't understand what's involved there um 
jumping back to the to the dorm room there, the the Brad with with the guy doing everything on his touch panel. I I sort of had flash flashes of um, what what's the uh, the I think it's the meme now that people are doing where you have the what people think my job is like yes. sort of thing, mm-hmm. and and that was sort of the 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 flash of inspiration I had at that moment was that hey here's what he thinks is all that's involved in this stuff. <laughs> you, you, you just go right on ahead with that delusion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can so, tell you one thing that that kid really did right, which is that he set Justin Bieber to wake him up. Because if anything's going to get you out of bed to go turn that radio <laughs> off, it's Justin Bieber singing. My buzzer can go off for 15 minutes and it doesn't bother me. If I hear baby, baby, I'm getting up to turn it off. That's a you good know, point. Scott, I'm, I'm kind of guessing that the rest of us didn't realize that was a Justin Bieber song. <laughs> well, you, how many of you have got a nine-year-old and eleven-year-old? Yeah, I have a six-year-old, oh, and, I, and I unfortunately know who the who the young punk is. So, who keeps getting on my lawn? So, uh, <laughs> Matt, is this? It, we we do. I mean, and, and you you're you're heavily involved in the in the Crestron owners group and. This has got to be something that is is talked about there and, and you know, in, in other places as well, where we talk about, you know, control and making it, you know, ubiquitous for everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think if there's anything we could all strive to try to help the industry grow over the next couple of years is really thinking about um, – thinking about control design, UI design, and designing for the users. And that doesn't necessarily mean involving the users in the conversation. Um, <laughs> Very well done. Um, I mean, we, we do design documents for every UI we do uh, here at George Mason. And what I found over time is I've started I, – I, I get the functional requirements from the user. And then I'll sit down and I'll mock something up and I'll say, does this look good? And get some feedback. And we'll probably do two or three iterations before we actually commit to graphic design and programming. And from there, we we kind of have adopted the approach of tell us what doesn't work for you rather than tell us what you think will work. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of minimalist. I, I, I did try a round of rooms where we did nothing but buttons and... It was great from a functional point of view, but it just lacked in uh, feedback. And people today, because of your iPhone, really expect a lot of feedback. So we've started going with you know the smallest uh, panels that our systems will allow. So I, I'm a huge fan of the minimalist approach to keep it functional. And you should absolutely not give the user a button to do everything. Uh, we were actually just having this conversation today about uh, DVD players and you know what controls we should give them. And my personal feeling is, if they're doing anything much more than you know, pause, play, stop, or chapter forward, we should hand them a remote and say, you know what, you're an advanced user. Yep. And it, it's you're not defeating the system, but 95% of our users only need those features. So design for the majority, not for that one super user. That makes sense. That's make, that makes it yeah make make it as 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 over overarching as possible and then yeah you are going to have those super users that that need every available function so I'm I'm personally a fan of the touch panels that have an exact replica of the remote control they have every That's available cool. function yeah, no it looks exactly like oh, the remote geez. control 
<laughs> Have you ever seen those? Yes. Yeah, they're fantastic. Because oh, it was like some of the new remotes are, are just crazy. We're gonna have oh, to yeah. have a talk in Vegas, Mr. Tyner. No, <laughs> I, I, this this is all in sarcasm, of course. I just I, I think it's like you know this. I know the the, the confusion that this remote can caused. I, I want to just take it and take it a step extra and cause you even more confusion. <laughs> so not only is it not the remote, it's a picture of the remote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with all the available functions, even though you don't know what they all do. And then you figure out how to hold two buttons down at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You know, th- this is one thing that we really liked about our uh, our Extron equipment. We have a lot of their MediaLink controllers, and one of the things that's available for them are these little auxiliary button panels, mm-hmm. yeah. one of which is a combination VCR DVD controller, which with like a leather or you know a dozen you know well labeled buttons that give you all of the basic controls you could want for a VCR or a DVD, and you know hook that up to a flasher, program everything, and everyone's happy and it works really well well i think it is what the uh, two, uh 226 controller and i know they, they have some add-ons yeah. to that i consider that to be actually one of the high points in av interface design that that is a yes. phenomenally yes. good design for higher education and just shows how simplicity can work yep we we switched to that back. Um, I don't know when that came out. Probably five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Because we were we were really behind in equipping all of our rooms. We have better, you know, the better part of two hundred rooms, and we put that across all of our classrooms. I mean, I literally have that in rooms stretching from eleven. All the way up to, I think our biggest room is 419. Wow. You know, with that single controller. Yeah, it's a little too little right now, which is why we're looking at some of our other alternatives. But, you know, it's a very simple, robust system, and that's the way we were able to build out all of the rooms the way we have, you know, doing it in house the way we do it. Wow, that's really cool. All right, uh, gentlemen, that is going to be it for us today. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, we have brought in the, the, the guys, the gang from another show uh, just to host this this week's episode of AV Week to give you a taste of what we are like. Uh, this is the gang from EdTech. Uh, the last gentleman there is Greg Brown from UCLA. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Tim. Always a pleasure. Uh, also with us from the great Northeast uh, Scott Tyner from uh, Bates College up in Maine. Thank you, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always uh, the highlight of my day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> from due uh, east of me, uh, from George Mason University, Mr. Matthew Silverman. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me, Tim. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for shows like this and others. Please go to the website, ravepubs.com forward slash aviation ravepubs for dot com forward slash avnation that's all the time we have for av week